Welcome to It Could Be Said. My name is Will Calling, and I'm joined as always by the one, the only, would really rather be in bed right now, Dr. Luke Midup. How are you today, Luke? It's not so much I'd rather be in bed right now, or that I would. It's more that I've got to get up early tomorrow morning because I have to deliver a lecture like an American televangelist. Now, is this a lecture on something profound about military history, geopolitics, something that you've dedicated your life to understanding inside out? Yeah, kind of. Oh, so it's not it's not the dreaded advising. No, 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 no. This is this is an actual proper lecture. Well, that's something. And actually, I, in fairness, I should explain the building that I've got to lecture in is not uh, it is wheelchair accessible, but it's not straightforwardly wheelchair accessible, if that makes sense. So actually, my lectures are on Wednesday and Thursday, but I'm going in early tomorrow to recon the building. <laughs> so I know where I'm going and how I'm supposed to get there. It's it's wheelchair accessible, but it's not happy about it. <laughs> exactly. Well, what it what it really is is Victorian, and you know, <laughs> in Victorian times, I'd be dead of consumption. So that's progress. And and I and I would have the figure of a rather dashing man around town. No, that's not true, is it? It was kind of going out of fashion by then. I, I've, it's got true. More, I've got more of a Regency figure. Yeah, it's true. But <laughs> what, what I am looking forward to is because I've got, it's a big lecture. I've got a lecture to like 300 students. So I've got to go up on stage and there are steps leading to the stage. So <laughs> what, what I have to do is get in a lift that comes up through the stage like Britney, <laughs> like Britney Spears. Sorry, everybody. I'm in like Britney Spears. So, yeah, this is close to being a pop diva as I will ever get. Well, that that and the negotiations when we do this podcast. Yeah, I guess. Um, but also, they, 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 tell, they tell you to, to, to dress for the job you want. I chose to eat for the job I wanted. I wanted. Mm-hmm. I couldn't. I couldn't pick between being president of the United States and chief chief justice of the Supreme Court. Hey! Hey! Um, but also, I get to I get to wear one of those cool headset microphones, which again will make me look ever so slightly like Britney Spears. I fear. All I need now, all I need now is a small halter top and a big snake. It's quite funny, actually. Obviously, I did the. Also, well, do you know? Also, listen. Are you guessing that our frame of reference is somewhat millennial? We we put the old in older millennial. <laughs> anyway, you were saying? Well, obviously, I had the big conference last uh-huh. week, and we got a proper AV desk. And it wasn't me who suggested this, you know. It was somebody else who suggested this, but I've never been more grateful to spend the extra money on a, on a proper AV desk because... Oh, it was so much easier than me trying to faff around with my laptop, you know, like, and I was on AV duty. I was going through the slides and everything, but you had just a proper techie, you know, bringing up the microphones, bringing down the microphones and everything, you know, it was, it made things a lot smoother. Um, Talking of things going a lot smoother, do you think, how do you think Mike Russell's uh, 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 thinking about the wreckage of a party? 
he presides over at the moment. Well, I'm sure Mike Russell is sitting there tonight with a large glass of whiskey, thinking tomorrow morning this will no longer be my problem. <laughs> and for that, I am profoundly grateful. The, um, yeah, the quite possibly the best leadership election of all time. Oh, we should say before we get started, unfortunately, Simon Alvey is working late, so he probably won't be joining us. Or he might join midway through. Yeah, possibly. Possibly. Um, I think quite possibly the best leadership election ever. We will try and put it in the pantheon um, afterwards. But the SNP leadership election has came to an end. A ferocious... Much too soon. Much too soon. A ferocious leadership election. Um, No, see, I disagree. Because I think this didn't taper off like the trust Sunak one did where everybody kind of realizes it's it's a foregone conclusion or thinks it's a foregone conclusion they they were able to keep the hatred levels up for the entire contest that's that's true that's true but like you know scores on the doors are are pretty astounding actually so i've got the second round i don't know if you have the first round to hand but i've, who- I've got it coming to memory all right, well, you, you, you go through it then. So on, so on the first round, Luke, who scored what? So on the first round, it was 48%, round, rounding up to whole figures. It was 48% Tamsi Yusuf, 40% to Kate Forbes, 11% to Ash Reekin. Wow. I actually hadn't taken in just how much, because that basically means Ash Reagan's vote went as a block to Kate Forbes. More or less, yeah. Because, cause, yeah, because she went up 8%. Yeah. And he went up 3, well, 8 percentage points, I should say. Yeah. And he went up 4 percentage points. But, like, I'm sure part of that increase will just be people having wasted their vote, you know, just, just by Nash Reagan, number one. Yeah. Um, did they give the raw counts? They did, but I don't have that committed to memory. Oh, all right, let, let me get this on. So BBC, let's go with Wikipedia. SMP, leadership election. Results. Where we are going to the Google machine. Um, dun, 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 dun. Let's go into the Google machine music. Oh, very nicely done. Uh, so, uh, leadership election, full results. I am on the SMP website. Uh, one second. So, yeah, uh, yeah, you know what? Oof. oof. Oh, I think explain oof. So, roughly, Kate Forbes, Bash Reagan had roughly five thousand. 500 votes. Technically 5,599. Kate Forbes had 20,559. Yusuf had 24,336. Kate Forbes goes up to 23,890, which broadly says she picks up 
two no three three thousand three hundred three thousand three hundred Yusuf goes up to twenty six thousand and thirty two so he doesn't even go up by two thousand you know he goes up by seventeen hundred so yeah. yeah so like Kate Forbes voters great roughly three to one uh, for Kate Forbes. You mean Ash Regan voters? Break sorry, Ash Regan. Sorry, Ash Regan voters break three to one in favour of Kate Forbes by very rough maths off the top of my head. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty damning for Yusuf. Um, I mean, look, let, let's... Okay, let, let's... You're more in Scotland. On a scale of one to 12... One being Tony Benn in 1981, 12 being Dennis Healy in 1981. How in the tank was the establishment for Humza Yusuf? Oh, I would say about 15. <laughs> I mean, I, th- I think, I think, I think Stephen, I think Stephen Bush, ding. Um, but it very, you don't have to ding. You actually know Stephen Bush. He's your friend. We've decided. <laughs> acquaintance. Twitter acquaintance. Acquaintance, yeah. Um, I think Stephen Bush put it rather well in his newsletter this morning. Hamza Youssef <laughs> could not be more the continuity candidate if he had Nicola Forever tattooed across his forehead. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, and I think the thing is, like, the SNP hasn't really had a genuine leadership election since 1990, which is when Alex Salmond first got elected. You know, Swinney won, the two elections Swinney won, because weirdly Swinney actually, he actually fought off Mike Russell in 2003, like less than a year before he quit. But like John Swinney won his two fairly easily, uh, Salmond won his very easily, even though it was a free candidate race. Sturgeon was elected unopposed, so there was no vote. So, like, they've not had a proper leadership election since 1990. And no. G- and given the amount of people who voted in that election, like a thousand, I think it was just the people who had t- turned up to the conference who got to vote. So, like, th- the SNP... And like even that was like I think Salmon got like sixty seven percent. Like it, it yeah. was a bigger result than people anticipated. Um, but like this, the S P has been a party that's fallen in line behind the chosen candidates for the past, you know, since really since Alex Salmon, because Alex Salmon was you no know, the insurgent. He had not. He was not the favoured candidate of the establishment in nineteen ninety. Um, you know what? I don't know. I know it wasn't him because it, it was what it was. It, he fell out with people over it. Yeah. Um, it's not like Alex Salmon to fall out with people, is no, it? No, he's a very easy going chap, is Alex <laughs> So let me have a look. Because I know John Swinney was a big figure in it because at, at that time he was like national secretary. Yeah. I mean, th- this Mar- is Margaret Ingwick. Oh, uh, Mar- uh, Margaret Ewing. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, um, I mean, th- this is th- this is one of the interesting things about this leadership election. It really is a generational passing of the torch. Yes, because um, obviously, 
because <laughs> Nicola Sturgeon has been involved with Scottish nationalist politics since the <laughs> since the early nineties. So has John Spinney. So has Peter Morrell. So has Mike Russell. Mike Russell will almost certainly step down at some point in the near future as party president. Um, so yeah, this is a real generational passing of the torch. Well, you, know, um, you, you know what's funny, though, because the SNP wasn't a, wasn't a, a real party in the nineteen eighties. Like it was a playset for, to, for weird one eye obsessives. Um, they're all really young. So when you go, John Swinney was National Secretary in 1990. You think his donkey's years old. He's younger than he's younger than Keir Starmer. Yeah. Because he had he had that role when he was an embryo. You know? It's like, <laughs> it's like Nicola Sturgeon. Nicola Sturgeon's in her mid fifties no, in her early fifties, mid fifties. Fifty-two, I think. Yeah, so... like uh, like really young, you know, when you think of compared to like again, compared to Starmer or Boris Johnson. Yeah. Um, but yeah, these people they just had the roles really young because yeah. you know the SNP it had that wave of enthusiasm from the set the breakthroughs in the seventies and before that I want to say the late fifties. Yeah. Um, no, early sixties. Early sixties. Yeah. Um, but like it hadn't really established a a a a you know a deeper membership. So if you and, were and of course and of course it spent the nineteen forties cooperating with another nationalist party. <laughs> well, that was the Scottish. Oh, is this a joke about the Nazis? Yeah, it was a joke about the Nazis. Because oh. <laughs> it was, it was a. There was a. At one point, there were two. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Scottish no, independence I, I, parties. I, I was making a joke about the Nazis. But um, so yes, yeah, so you 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 get these people who are actually quite young, and like it's like, yeah, no, you need to retire. You've been around for way too long. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, and I mean, we'll we'll get we'll get to all the the shenanigans that this leadership election has. Because, oh my God, there have been so many, so many shenanigans. But I can't believe I'm saying this. Me of all people. (coughs) (coughs) But, sorry, to be fair to Nicola Sturgeon. That's why you were coughing so much. Yeah. The bile was was trying to escape. was right at the tip of my throat. Um, to be fair to Nicola Sturgeon, when she's been going around, you know, every news program and newspaper saying that yes, this leadership election has got messy, but it's growing pains. It's the SNP maturing as a political party. There is something to that. No, that's horseshit. Oh God, then why is that horseshit? It is never ever a healthy sign for a party that you have such a bloody leadership election and one that's so close like the ideal explain why so so baker's party shouldn't be this badly divided like you know you've had you know you've had the what Yusuf uh, is currently the health minister which in a context of of devolved government is a very important role yeah, because um, it's ba- it's ba- it's basically one of it's basically one of the roles that the, the authority for which is not divided between Scotland and the yeah. yeah. Um. Um. And, and also because of the way the Scottish health service is run, 
like so like justice there's not really much division between westminster and holyrood on justice but the justice minister has to kind of defer to like the law officers the court of session you know etc etc whereas the minister for health in the scottish system kind of gets to do what they want yeah um so no so he's got a big role and you've had the finance minister obviously also a big role tearing lumps out of each other um the finance minister you know effectively you know like i don't think it's it's fair to say that they are the de facto number two as the chancellor of the exchequer is however it is worth saying that it was nicola sturgeon's deputy who covered for kate forbes while she was on maternity leave in john swinney so it's 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 not quite as much the de facto deputy or the de facto real deputy but it's certainly one of the more important positions, yeah. Uh, so you've had those two... And also, and also, don't forget Ash Regan going, <laughs> Well, we'll, leave, we'll come back to Ash Regan. Um, so you've had those two, like, just tearing lumps out of each other. Um, but, and boy, did they. I mean, boy, did they. You've had Kane Forbes slag off the record of, you know, Yusuf, of the government as a whole. You've had Kate Forbes... You know, draw a really and you know, and Ash Regan as well, draw a really profound dividing line between um themselves and the government on a core issue of the day in terms of the gender recognition act. Yeah. Um yeah. so that this is all bad. But like the one thing that would kind of mean it not be so bad is if Yusuf went I've won by thirty percent. You know, you know, go, 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 fuck you guys. Yeah, go, 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 take a long walk off a short pier. And and he can't because actually forty eight percent of the party membership heard Kate Forbes and Ash Regan in their different ways slag off the outgoing uh, leader leader's record, slag off the record in office, and go, yeah, that that seems fair. Um, yeah. uh, no, show me the line. And yeah, so, yes, they are. They are in a mess. So, like, yeah. So, basically, good leadership elections that leave parties stronger than than, than they than they entered are usually done in a fairly genteel, mild mannered way. I think the nineteen ninety Tory leadership election, once Thatcher was removed, the the nineteen seventy six Labour leadership election are good examples of that. And um, but also, there's like a clear and decisive winner. Yeah, because that means the leader has authority. Um, and this, it's been really bloody. A lot of nasty things have been said, um, not just about Yusuf, about Kate Forbes as well. Um, and there's basically a hair's breadth between them because again, it it, it has to be stressed. Everyone knew Yusuf was the establishment's favourite. It wasn't quite um, 15 on the Ben Healy scale because Nicola Sturgeon didn't come out and endorse Yusuf, whereas Michael Ford right. did endorse um, Dennis Healy. But it wasn't but, far but the, thing, but the thing is, Dennis Healy was already his deputy. Yes. Yeah, I mean, but... Foot, could, Foot couldn't do anything else. So, and it, it would have been considered unseemly if uh, Sturgeon had endorsed. Uh, you see, people, pretty... people always say, this. "I think this is wrong." I, I, I think this, this self-denying audience ordinance that 
outgoing leaders don't endorse their successors. I don't know where this idea has came from um, because no, I, I, I just think it's mistaken. But anyway, but like, no, but she didn't endorse him. But everything else that you could have done to make it clear, you know, over half the parliamentary party, the deputy leader, lots yeah. of lots of heavy, other heavyweights in the SNP made it clear they wanted Youssef. Youssef was the one who made it clear that he wanted to continue Sturgeon's policies. Um, so, like, he had, and of course, you had the, like, spectacular, like, blowing up on the departure lap of Kate Forbes' leadership campaign. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean that, that is the great unanswered question from this leadership election. If she'd had a better launch, even a marginally better launch to a campaign, she'd, she'd have won, I'm pretty certain of that. Well, yeah, I mean, you, it's hard to think it would. that's not the case. Yeah. So this, I just don't see how this doesn't leave you, Seth, like a remarkably weak leader. Because I mean, he's, he's got he's got a horrible choice to make in terms of naming his cabinet. Because on the one hand, on the one hand, you've got to try and accommodate Kate Forbes because she ran you such a close second. On the other hand, how can you put somebody in a senior position who lit you on fire during a leadership campaign? I in a, in a in a in a, in a re- not not just lit your policies on fire, but lit you on fire in quite a personal way. I I don't think he does have much of a choice. Like I just do not see how his leadership isn't doomed if he can't reach an accommodation with Kate Forbes. Um, and I can't see how Kate Forbes. Would accept anything less than finance and the economy, because yeah, and but 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 that le- but that leaves your leadership quite bifurcated to begin with. Because, like you said, it's not like there aren't serious and deep and genuine policy differences well, we'll, between the, the two of them. We'll we'll come on to them, but again, yeah, you know, the. In terms of leadership elections like this, they involve ordinary party members casting votes in a reasonably one-man, one-vote election. You basically have Sunak Trust, which was pretty close. Um, I think that was like 57-43. Yeah. If I'm remembering right, Nick Clegg, Chris Hune was fairly close. I seem to remember it being fairly close, yeah. Um, and then you have Miliband, uh, Miliband, 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 Miliband. Yeah. which is a weird one because that's when Labour led Electoral College. And so it doesn't, like in terms of votes cast, it actually wasn't very close. You know, Miller, Ed Miliband had way more than David Miliband, but because of how they were weighted, um, David Miliband almost won. Um, the Ben Healy one doesn't count because that was back when you had block votes for CLPs and trade unions. Um, so, like, you know, ordinary members didn't get the vote. You know, Ben would have won easily um, in all likelihood. Yeah. So, but like, and what 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 happened with Liz Truss's leadership? What happened with Ed Miliband's leadership? They were both really undermined by the fact that they couldn't bring the person who came second. Like, it's not comfortable for Humza Yusuf to, to have somebody in a senior position that said in front of everybody, you're fucking useless. But it, but equally, half his party agreed with her. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I, th- I think you, I think you're probably, I, I think you're probably right, but that relationship is going to be that relationship is going to need a hell of a lot of work if it's not to prove like cripplingly dysfunctional. See, I, I wonder as well if part of what made this such a bitter leadership campaign is the oddity of having somebody coming back for because she's still technically on maternity leave. Um, yeah. during this campaign and it's funny because I was doing some training today at work and I was like, trying to explain to people you know the, the like legal requirements to ensure you make pregnant uh, people aware of job opportunities so that they're not discriminated against um, but I do wonder with Kate Forbes like has, has her maternity leave like I don't know what efforts the SNP have done to keep in touch with her but has she been being back home, being away from Holyrood, being away from the cabinet, has that kind of made her almost revert back to type? Um, that no, it, it's kind of got her out of the habit of placating people who are to her left. Because no, it... no, no, no. I mean, I mean, maybe, but but my reading of the situation is. She thought that it was. She thought that it was Hamza Yusuf's outriders that put a lot of a lot of the stuff about her religious faith, you know, out into the public domain. And she just thought, "I'm not going to let that." You know, if they if they if they want if they want a rough contest, they're going to get a rough contest because that is that is that is the one thing that's like a defining characteristic of Kate Forbes, um, you know, political persona. She doesn't mind the scrap. Um, oh, and then some. Yeah, and like actually, and like actually, and you you watch you watch her when she you watch her when she's doing like finance ministers questions or like the the budget one of the fiscal statements. She's she's a naturally she's a counterpuncher. That 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 is who that is who she is. Yeah, yeah. I think the other interesting thing. So we had so this had roughly seventy thousand people vote. Well, no, it had an electorate of seventy thousand. There were about fifty thousand. Yeah, that's right. So vote. you're right. Yeah. So it roughly fifty thousand people voted. Yeah. Now, obviously, there was this is itself a very big scandal because yeah. the SNP did was meant to have over a hundred thousand members. Hundred thirty thousand. Um, and it didn't. Um, and well, it did, it did, it just doesn't have them anymore. <laughs> a quite a catastrophic decline in membership, you know, not not exceptional. Um, yeah, you know, this does happen with parties, they have a spike and then it drops. Same um, things had same things happen with Labour since Corbyn, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think one of the really interesting things is they did there are a number of the of fear because like this again it, it has to be stressed this shouldn't have happened normally membership elections are quite one-sided um and and you would have fought with a party that has been as successful as the SNP um that the, the the preferred candidate of the outgoing leader would have been more successful so that to me there are three theories about why we've had such a close election one is the SNP is the SNP membership is just really pissed off. Um, they haven't got independence. They're not going to get a second referendum, 
actually Nicola Sturgeon is kind of leaving in failure um, and the party membership is responding in kind. Yeah, and, uh, and the one thing that I, ag- I agree with that, but the one thing I would add as well is people are genuinely mystified as to why Nicola Sturgeon did leave. At this point, it, yes, yes, it was quite clear that her leadership was closer to its end than its start. But there wasn't like there wasn't a massive amount of pressure for her to go. So I will come back to that. So I think that's an interesting point. My thing about that first point is I am less sure about that. I think if it was anger at not being closer to, to Indie Ref 2, Ash Regan probably should have been doing better. Yeah. Because actually on the issue of independence, Kate Forbes and Yusuf have pretty much yeah, the same are actually, They're actually not that far apart. Um, whereas, whereas Ash Regan is, is the representative of the Zuma community. But it's weird, isn't it? Because Ash Regan's policy is actually the one closest to Nicola Sturgeon's, which kind of shows what a bizarre mess Sturgeon had got herself in. Yeah. Um, so, there's, mean, so, so, there's, sorry, so there's that. The second thing is members just don't pay enough attention. And, and I mean, we've had this discussion before. Like, this is an issue with these membership elections that because, obviously, members are ordinary people with other stuff to do, um, you, you can overestimate how interested they are in politics, how much they're following, the minutiae of things going on. And so, like, they may just have missed how badly things had gotten with Kate Forbes, both just how spectacular... The, the social issues meltdown was to begin with, um, but also how strident she became against the current government's record. Yeah. Um, and so, like, they almost actually, like, no, if, if you don't know much and if you aren't following the day by day stuff, it's like, well, there's Kate Forbes. Oh, yeah, she's that finance minister who took, took over at short notice. Um, because the the previous finance minister was trying to sex up a sixteen year old boy, um, she seems quite good. I'll, I'll vote for her, not realizing that they actually become this this source of controversy. Because naturally, you assume, oh well, Nicola Sturgeon appointed her finance minister. N- yeah, Nic- Nicola Sturgeon wouldn't be horrified if she became leader. The third thing, and this is the oh no, five. <laughs> You know, five chili alarm fire type thing. If actually you still have that old SMP party as kind of like the cornerstone, you know, beneath the sheets of ice that have been added to the edifice since uh, really since 2011, um, if we're being honest, that actually the SMP's membership isn't as socially democratic as people had assumed that Sturgeon and to a lesser extent Salmon before her had done a good job of rebranding the SNP as a centre-left party. Um, but actually there is a hardcore of, of, of right-wingers, the old Tartan Tories. Um, and they have used this leadership election to reassert themselves. And to me, that's the nightmare scenario for, for Hamza, uh, Hamza Yusuf. A, because that means he will have an ideological divide to try and bridge. But if that's the reading that, say, someone like Kate Forbes chooses to take 
from the leadership election, well, that's going to motivate her to be less accommodating to the central central belt social democratic uh, tradition that the SNP has been run from, you know, pretty much since uh, 2004? Yeah, I mean... I, I think I think there's pro- I think there's probably something in all of that to be honest. I think we're in a little bit of column A, little bit from column B type situation. But I I, I would just I would just add a clarifier to that. When you talk about Tartan Tories, I don't imagine for a moment when I think you've got to you've got to you've got to define that a bit because I don't imagine for a moment that there is a large amount of people in the SNP that share Kate Forbes' social views. No. But there are still, um, I think, reasonably large numbers of SNP members, particularly in the Northeast, where I am, particularly in uh, particularly in the Western, particularly in the Western Isles, in places like Argyle, places like Borders, that, that do share a more centre-right economic philosophy. And frankly, would like to get rid of a lot of the green crap because it's threatening their livelihoods in the oil industry. It's threatening that it's threatening their livelihoods as fishermen. In fishing, as fishermen, it's the perception is that the greens don't the greens don't care about those communities because the green party isn't going to win there. You know, its appeal is very much in the central belt. <coughs> So yeah, I, I think you've got to be careful to define what you mean by talking Tories. I think they're out there. <clears throat> but I think you have to be careful to delineate what they agree with Kate Forbes on and what they don't. Uh, yes, although I would say, like, and I think this is where maybe because you're not a progressive, you underestimate this. Kate Forbes would not get this level of votes in uh, the labelled Lib Dems because of a social a stance on social issues, so even it, and I agree with you. I think I think it is more in economics. And I think that's more the issue. But even then, I think most progressive would consider the type of stuff she she was saying at the start of the leadership election as being disqualifying. Whereas clearly, <laughs> a big chunk of the SNP doesn't. Um, 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 which I think is very, very interesting. And, um, and, and, and also, and also, what I think you've got to factor in is—is is it a bunch of—is it a bunch of SNP members going? Actually, this stuff on gender recognition, this stuff on um, this mandatory recycling thing that the Greens are doing—is all this stuff just a, just a big, too big a distraction from Holy Grail, from independence? Yes, and I and I well, and I think this is the. So it's less about the merits of the issue than trying to stay on the popular side of everything. Yes, of everything. Well, I mean, we'll come to that in a second. But I think this is a danger for SNP governance. Um, but again, I do and I do think again on the economics. I think I think the real danger is. That because like the, the problem with Kate Forbes is if 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 she's gonna stay in the cabinet, you've got to give her a senior role. Yeah. So many of the other senior roles touch upon issues where she is clearly in disagreement 
with with the parliamentary party and so she cannot have that role so you yeah. can't you, know, you can't give her help because that would put her at the front line on issues such as gender recognition such as abortion such as same-sex couples you know you you couldn't give her education because you know the issues about how these subjects are taught would come up and you, you certainly could, can't give her justice you know obviously so you are kind of left with I mean, I was saying the only thing I think you could give her is like the external relations role, but yeah, but this, this is the thing: the SNP want to ta- want that to be taken seriously, but nobody takes it seriously, including the SNP. So I, I do think if she's going to stay in, it uh, it is it is going to have to be finance and the economy, and then with this, you know, or do you, do you try and get away with giving her a sock? In terms of making a deputy first minister, yeah, but deputy first ministers still need something to do, don't they? So it's yeah, it's, I, it's, I suppose. it's Sweeney's always Sweeney's always had I mean, a portfolio. Could, the only thing I was thinking, and this is slightly left field, is could you give us some kind of cabinet office type role? I don't. That's not really because I don't. Is it even a cabinet office in a way? No, there, there there isn't. But what I'm saying is, I think you could. You could create one. I think. I think again, that's the type of role you give uh, loyalists, not your yeah it's right. chief chief adver- adversary. Now, I I I struggle to see how she can have anything other than finance and the economy. Um, I think I think you're pro- I think you're probably right, but on the other hand, that's going to be a hellishly difficult relationship to manage. Because you've got no, you've got no personal chemistry and serious policy differences, and she presumably will be emboldened by how well she's done. Presumably, yeah. Although I, th- I think, I think, I think she thinks she should have won. Yes. Yeah, and she should have. I mean, like you said, like given yeah. how badly she started the race, this is astonishing. Um, yeah. So I, 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 but yeah, but basically, I think, I think there's a real issue if you do actually have this bifurcated SNP membership. And also, also before, before, before we move off the, before we move on, it is worth saying Hamza Youssef ran a boring, insipid, incompetent campaign with the institutional support he had. He should have buried. He well, should have won. He should have. He should have won that. But he should have won by like a, at least a Liz Trust margin. Well, this is the thing. I would start to get really worried about the yeah. SNP because I think it's Yusuf's own instincts. But I think it's also the lesson I think a lot of people will take from how Nicholas Sturgeon came unstuck on the Gender Recognition Act, which is just don't do anything. You know, like, you know, just don't do anything. And I don't think it's going to wash. Like, I, I don't, I don't think, I think that part of the reason they got away with that for so long is that you had Brexit and then COVID sucking up the oxygen. Yeah. And that now. And, and, and I think this is crucial. If you can, if you can demonstrate some kind of forward momentum, towards independence that will shut everybody in the SNP up because that's what they really care about at the end of the day 
But if you can't show any kind of momentum towards independence, then you are kind of required to do stuff. Yeah, well, it's and it's not just the SNP, is it? Like, if there's momentum towards independence, that is something for the press to cover. Yeah, that is that is something for the political debate to focus on. Um, But like, there clearly isn't any forward momentum. The Westminster's gotten away with saying no. Starmer supporting the government saying no. So like, they are like, if if you do have a do nothing government in Holyrood and boot house for the next two years or well, next year to two years they really are flirting with disaster at the next general election and again going back to that bifurcated membership because if you do have Yusuf trying to appease the party's right if you have a Kate Forbes who's trying to push uh, the party into a more centrist pro-business direction that's going to create real issues for them because there's only so far they can go whilst keeping the Greens on board. And, you know, the seats, the the real big chunk of seats that are vulnerable for the SNP to lose are those central belt seats, are those the ones they won from Labour in 2011 and 2015 Um, um, and to a lesser extent 2016. And the, and the thing is, what 2015, 2017, and to some extent the 2019 general elections have shown is that those seats look fairly safe on paper, but Scottish politics is really febrile these days. So you can get these really enormous swings because a lot of pe- there are there are there are a lot of people. You know, it may look safe on paper, but there are a lot of people that are prepared to change their votes. So, in both in 2015 and 2017, you've got these almighty, almost almost incredible swings. Well, it's, it's not just that, is it? Like, yeah, you have this weirdness of the three unionist parties jockeying for the one to take on the SNP. Yeah. Um, and I think... But look, I mean, you know this, some of the listeners may remember this, but I've always been adamant that if you enter a general election campaign with Labour, it's looking like a serious candidate to win um, across England and Wales. They would recover in Scotland as an automatic process because you would get a, a coarse segment of uh, swing voters in Scotland would want to be part of the movement that got the Tories out. Um, I think that's even more true now because I, I think the SNP have had a leadership election that has, and if Labour play their cards right, they've had a leadership election that has reminded everybody that the SNP actually isn't a centre-left party. They're just pretending to be one. And you've got, you know, a a inadequate leader that that no one thinks is any cop, but may but is also going to have to keep an eye on a newly restive, assertive right of his party. Um, so, like, yeah, no, like, I, 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 could, I, I'm not convinced. I am pretty sure the SNP don't hit forty seats at the next election. It's looking, it's looking unlikely now. 
And the thing is, Hamza Yusuf isn't going to... Sorry, we've got we've to gotta stop doing that. Humza Yusuf. His name is Humza. I keep saying uh, Humza. I'm being a good boy. Yeah, no, no. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I apologize for that. Um, he's not going to get any kind of honeymoon period. No. Um, he, because he's he's already said he's going to challenge the Section Thirty Five order on on the the GRA. Um, that was kind of his first governing announcement. Oh, is he, so, has, he, has he repeated that? Because he was going a bit wishy-washy towards the end. No, no, he's basically he's basically repeated that this afternoon. Um, or he said he's minded to. And he's got to make a decision very quickly because there is a clock, um, you know, by the, by the terms of the Scotland Act, there is a clock on how long you can wait to mount a judicial challenge. And that time is almost up. So I suppose what he could do is just wait out the clock and not make a decision. But if he wants to challenge it, he's got to make his mind up in about the next week or so. Eek. Um, it's interesting because the more, the more I thought of that issue, and we, we, we should both say, we thought that was going to be a disaster for the Unionists. Yeah. And, you know, like the Scot, the Scotland, the Scot, the uh, Alistair Jack, he 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 really you know you know he from a very purely partisan point of view he's he's kind of played a blinder because the pressure of that veto does seem to have lit a fuse underneath the SMB. Um, yeah, I've got to say. I mean, what do we know about politics? Because I thought that would I thought that was an absolute disaster. Yeah. Um, the more I think of it. It's quite interesting. The more I, because I've looked, obviously, through my work, I, I look into this issue quite a lot. I don't really understand why the Gender Recognition Act still exists. Because we have the Equality Act. So, like, actually, if you abolish the um, Gender Recognition Act, you, the statutory guidance would just kick in. Um, so, so, like, for example, if you want a passport... With with your affirmed gender, you don't need a gender recognition certificate. They'll just give you one. So, like, if 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 you want, if you want to actually move to a point of having self, because basically all all you're talking about when it comes to um, gender recognition certificates, which you know you're not allowed to ask for um, in most circumstances. The, the main thing you get with your gender recognition certificate is your amended birth certificate. That's it. You know, but like, you know, you can get a passport without a gender recognition certificate. You can tell your bank to change your details without one. You can, you know, get change your name without one. You know, like, it's a weird appendix of a different type of approach before the Equality Act um, kind of came in. Um, so I increasingly think we're actually taking gender recognition, gender recognition act reform by itself doesn't really make sense. What you're actually do, talking about is a bot is is scrapping the gender recognition act and then putting in place, you know, various processes in the equality act just to make sure people can get the documentation changed. Because like things as well, like. Um, so, for example, like obviously, one of the things they had to do when they were, they were writing the Gender Recognition Act 
was work out what happened to marriages because you couldn't have gay marriage. So marriages had no, if someone changed their gender, sorry, their legal gender, the marriage had to end upon that change being being recorded because otherwise you'd have gay marriage by the back door. Whereas now you don't need that. You know, no, if 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 someone does want a divorce um on grounds that the other person has changed had changed their like legal gender, they could just take that through the normal divorce proceedings, you know, under irretrievable breakdown. So yeah, so I so m- the more I think about it, like I don't think Alistair Jack was thinking <laughs> in this way. I think he was just playing politics with it. Um in in a effective but regrettable way but the more i think about it that the the scotland's proposal didn't really make any sense um ideally obviously wales wants to do this as well ideally you would have some sort of conference um between the four governments to work out what to do okay i say four governments three governments and then the whatever's agreed is just imposed on northern ireland because they, they won't have a government anytime soon um but yeah but like um that'll be interesting because obviously one of the kate Forbes made it quite clear that she doesn't agree with that yeah wouldn't do that yeah like, like as, as i said like she may end up at the back benches but like if you've got somebody like we've we've seen this play before if you've got somebody who got 48 percent of the vote in the leadership election and you can't bring them in it's always a bad sign. Actually, no, I'd go further. Like, if you can't bring the runner up in, it's always a bad sign. Um, unless it's like something Stalinist and like they got 9% of the vote. Um, like, you know, it is an important part of the healing. And also, like, you know, if you've got a situation where the runner up is so crazy that they can't be put brought into the front bench, well, that shows you party isn't very healthy if your members yeah elevate somebody who's who's that um, unacceptable so yeah no this is the best news the union has had in years you know probably probably the best news since 2014 yeah uh, and it has to be said i mean i don't, I don't know if you have anything we, we talked about nicola sturgeon's legacy when she stepped down but like well, I mean, this I I I will not hear any arguments that that she was a a more effective leader than Alex Salmond. It's just clearly not true. Like, no, she inherited the house Alec built, and she's fucking demolished it. <laughs> but but well, COVID, baby boxes, uh, uh. Uh, Gender Recognition Act reform. Oh no! Wait a minute. No. Oh no! Wait a minute. Did I mention the baby boxes? <laughs> yeah, and I mean, and I mean, also, there's a, there's a lot, there's a lot going on. Well, she got COVID, right? Well, Boris Johnson made a mess of it. They did the exact same thing, just forty-eight hours later. It's you puppets. She just, she just spoke a bit more convincingly in a press conference. The only, I think, the only... And look, look, let's be honest, that's not nothing. 
It, no, it's it's not nothing. Like it clearly, COVID played to her strengths more than it did Boris Johnson's. <laughs> <laughs> There's the other statement of the century. But I mean, I'm sorry. In terms of policy, what they did was identical, or worse, or worse. Because you know, obviously, because the the one, the one devolved government that did do better on something, and you can point something very specific where they did better was Wales and the vaccine rollouts. But that was hilarious because basically Wales were like, "We're just going to give out as many vaccines as we can." Because we'll always be able to get more off England if, if we run out. Yeah. Which we should there's no reason why Scotland couldn't do that. Um, but yeah, that, that's not a point Nicola Sturgeon wants to emphasize. Well, but, but I think obviously because what because Wales just took like basically worked with the Westminster government to deliver them, whereas the SNP insisted on doing their own delivery routines. Yeah. To the point where the, the, the Westminster government had to actually mobilize the army to get them out of the out of their shits because because I mean this is the thing, like it has to be stressed. Um and you obviously you know this more than me because you live in Scotland, um Sassanac bastard. Um yeah. but like it's not a good government. And no, like, no. It it's it's... They fucked up the census, Luke. They How fu- can you fuck up a census? Well, I mean, the, the, the thing is, the thing is, ironically, for a nationalist government, it has all of Westminster's faults on steroids. It is, it is, it is overly secretive. It is obsessed with it. Is, it is obsessed to a positively Orwellian degree with its public image. It is madly centralising because everything's got to be Scottish. Yeah, I, by the way, that really annoyed me last week because I was writing my article about why the match should be broken up, and I had to const- and it made it made the copy really awkward <laughs> because Police Scotland is like the only police force anywhere near the Met size um, because of the absurd idea of merging all the. Um, Police forces in Scotland into a centralised force. Yeah. Um, still, no, still less than the Met. Now, quite, quite a lot less. But um, it meant you just, I had to use that awful, like, England and Wales, England and Wales. Um, so my, my stats would sound impressive. Yeah. Um, and, and, and also, because, because we are a centre-left party. You know, we've we've got we've got to we've got to run the NHS. We've got to run the NHS as though it's still 1948. Um, so again, this is why the health secretary is such a powerful role in Scotland, because the, I'm not saying there is no private sector involvement because that's not that actually that's the SNP's dirty little secret. They do contract out a lot of stuff in the NHS. But it's done in a re- again. It's done in a really cack-handed, overly centralised way. It's basically pre-foundations hospitals. Yes. The NHS. Yes. It's like yeah, that. It's, that. That. It's like that. It Ninety-nine, two thousand. Yeah. It's it's Frank Dobbs. It's Frank Dobson's NHS. That is a very good way of putting it. Actually. It is. Uh, sorry. It is. Yeah. I, I just realised what you were saying. Something there. Let me just. I'm just full checking. Oh no, she she had had a slightly. Well, you know what? Do you think she? Do you think Kate Forbes would take 
infrastructure, capital investment, and cities, combined with deputy leadership? Oh, I think you'd need to rename it. Maybe like the Ministry of Econ- Economic Affairs, maybe. Yeah. Because I, 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 when you're saying health, I was like, oh, Nicola Surgeon was health secretary. But she, she did have a role in between um, that and becoming leader. Yeah. Um, yeah, but no, I mean, there's a sense of stuff. That's, that's classic. You know, like they had to do it in a different year from, from England and Wales for reasons. And, and then, <coughs> in fairness, there were a lot of people saying that the entire process should have been postponed for the UK as a whole. Yeah, they were wrong. Yeah, probably. But they were. You want to capture that. You want to keep the 10-year intervals. And, like, as somebody who uses this data, like, it's 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 so such a relief to finally have it because, we, we, no, we've been working on 10-year-old data for, like, so long. Um, but... Um, but like yeah, like the minute England and Wales said we're doing a we're keeping the census to its current year, Scotland should have just done it the same as us because it was never going to work. Trying to have run its own publicity campaign without the oomph of the British government and the BBC and everyone really pushing it na- nationwide. Um, it is yeah. funny. It is always very funny <laughs> that Northern, Northern Ireland does actually do it in a different year. <laughs> because 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 the 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 Irish the, the Republic of Ireland they kept going on with the old Irish census states that were all that had been traditionally different to Great Britain's and Northern Ireland has just kept those dates as well because again you want to keep the ten year pattern no it's 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 important you as an historian know this Luke it's um, true. So again, any any other things to say about uh, the mess the SNP are in? Um, no, no, no. Except except to say, I think Humza Yusuf, Humza Yusuf, Humza. Sorry, I will stop doing that. Humza Yusuf is what would happen if somehow Ian Duncan Smith had become prime minister. That's unfair. He's been a cabinet minister. I suppose Dean Duncan Smith eventually became one. Yeah, I mean, I mean, in the sense that it's not just that the guy lacks charisma. There's something weirdly anti-charismatic about him. <sighs> who, who's he like? Oh, that's an interesting. I don't think it's Ian Duncan Smith because Ian Duncan Smith was too 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 much of a marmite figure. Um, I don't. I don't think Yusuf's interested enough to be in Duncan Smith. Michael Michael Ancrum. No, because it's got to be a minister. Because we're looking at their ministerial okay. performance. Very, very millennial references you're coming up with, like Michael Ancrum. Where, where did you pull that out of your ass? Um, I don't know. I'm just thinking about leadership elections. Um, Chris Craylin. Yes, yeah, actually, that, that that's 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 a good one, actually. Yeah, Chris Grayling. Yeah, I think it's Chris Grayling. I think that yeah, works. yeah, yeah. Because you are not the only like I, I uh, somebody I I talk to on Twitter every now and again. We we DM me to just say you you, you cannot understand how useless this guy is. Yeah, well, I mean, 
the thing is, that's the thing. If Kate Forbes had gone after him for, about something that wasn't true, it wouldn't be nearly as damaging. Yes. But the fact is, every ministerial post this guy has held, he has, he has screwed the pooch. The, um... It really is quite impressive that you've failed your way to the top. I mean, we should say, I mean, the one thing to say um, um, yeah. a, 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 on the positive for you, Seth, is obviously this is, it's always a bit weird to, to know how you, I suppose, no, it, it's, he is a party leader, he's not a branch office. So it's the second, you know, person of South Asian heritage to become a leader of a British party, um, yeah. which is, you know, when you think about you, obviously you have, no, um, Leo is back as Taoiseach in uh, in Ireland. So no, it, it is you know a sign of the success of people from South Asian heritage. He is also, I believe, the first person because I don't. I think Varadkar's family background is Hindu. I want to say it. Yeah, he's Trunak. yeah, he's the first. He's the first Muslim leader of a political party uh, in the British Isles. Uh, well, he's not just. Like, I think it's in the Western world. Um, okay. I don't. I don't think it's happened in the Western world. So that that's cool, particularly in in Ramadan. Um, it is. It um, is. It is. It's funny how they keep it keeps overlapping because obviously Sunak becomes prime minister um, um, during during, during, during Diwali. Yeah. So that's that, that's kind kind of cool. So that that's and like Aspi said, sort of like it is almost in a way more in, a more impressive breakthrough for Scotland because Scotland. Is much whiter than England. Yeah, um, this is uh, true. Um, so that that's incredibly impressive. Very quickly, because you know you need to go to bed. We 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 did say we might try and put this in our in the pantheon of leadership elections. So we have two things. So first of all, most destructive leadership elections for a party. Now we don't know fully. Because obviously we need to see how Yusuf cleans yeah. up afterwards. But you know, end of the day, you've had the chief executive have to resign, um, um, which I don't, I don't remember ever happening for a party. Yeah, we've had the deputy and, leader, and, and, leader and by resign. The way, by the way, we we don't need to get into this now. But I will bet all the money in my pockets that we haven't heard the last of that. Yes, there is something. There is something very odd going on here. Well, again, like you know, uh, he, obviously you have the police investigation. Yeah. And that investigation is based on how money that was uh, was was donated specifically for an Indie Ref Two campaign should have been put into a ring fence pot. What happens to that money? Well. If if you've lost thirty thousand members, yeah, that's a lot of money yeah. um, that you're short by. Yeah. So like that, that being secretive about this falling membership, I think is is definitely part of that story. So um, and obviously, no, as we say, you know, you've had this kind of Donnybrook between uh, two very senior ministers, so it's pretty destructive. What to you is the most and least destructive leadership elections in British history? Okay, well, I mean, the most destructive. I actually think that's quite. I actually think that's quite an easy question to answer. 
Uh, and that's Labour in 2015. Okay, go on. Well, I mean, because base because basically, what you create is you have the the, mem- the members electing a leader that the P- that the PLP is totally is totally at odds with, and a lot of the PLP are irreconcilably at odds with. So it created it created a situation where the leader couldn't actually, you know, could not could not command the could not command the confidence of his own party in the House of Commons. I think, and so and so at the at the, be, at the best, all Corbyn ever got out of his MPs was grudging acceptance, and most of the time, a decent block of them were running mutiny. See. I suppose that's, I hadn't thought about it in terms of the actual result. I mean, I suppose the thing I'd say against that is that and the 2016 leadership elections do stop the Labour Party going bankrupt because they had so many people signing up I, to be registered I, I, supporters. I suppose, but it led to it led to like total it led to like total paralysis and total like. Five years of total naval gazing. But, but they did they did increase the number of seats they had in the 2017 election. Um somehow. <laughs> um you know, like and that would have been what they did in that election would have been their best result in England, in England and Wales, since what, 2010, maybe 2005? No. Yeah, I mean oh no, two thousand and one. No, I don't think it'd be that much. No, it would because you've got to remember that the Tories actually win a majority of the vote in England and Wales. They don't. They don't win a majority of seats, though. No, that's true. Um, because you got to think like Labour get three hundred and sixty-eight. They only have three hundred. They only have forty-nine from Scotland, something like that. Yeah, forty-one. Forty-one. So, so that's you know that's three hundred and twenty seats in England and Wales. Yeah. So you know Corbyn didn't get three hundred and twenty. If he did, we'd yeah. be in a very different but, but situation. I mean, but I mean, I, I get, I get that that's not looking at it from the point of view you were looking at it. But that's my answer. No, no, no. I think I think it's a perfectly valid answer. Yeah. I think I think my I I do like the fact that when Labour stopped having these Corbynite leadership elections. That's when they started running into money problems again. So they just they just got so used to having all these people <laughs> pay money to vote for Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah, I, I think. Oh, this is this is quite a tricky one. I I think. Um, you know, I think often what you find is short term, long term, or, or different. Yeah. So, like, I think that's a very good argument that the least destructive, the most beneficial for a party is that 1990 Tory leadership election because you get rid of Thatcher as she's going a bit crazy. You get John Major in. He's a clean skin. Um, you get you get to um, reboot the party going into that 92 leadership, uh, general election, pull off this incredible victory. You can make a similar argument for the 2019 Tory, Tory leadership election, where again you get you get Boris Johnson in, you reboot the party, you set yourself up to win. But of course, in both of those occasions, the kind of the bitterness, the bad blood, you know, the person you choose in a crisis to be the new uh, prime minister, actually sets you up for complete disaster moving forward. Yeah, that's um, true. 
So I'm going to go mo, but like I, I can't quite say a leadership election that puts you in place to 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 win the next election is destructive. Likewise, 1983, can't, no, 1981 can't really be said to be that destructive either. No, because if anybody but Michael Foot had won, the split in the Labour Party would have been. Oh yes, I was going to go with the deputy. I was thinking the deputy leadership one. No, no, absolutely. Foot, foot, foot had to be the leader in eighty-one. If you'd put anybody else other than Foot as the leader, Ben Ben would have just challenged them, and he would have won. Um, you know, yeah, and and then and then that would probably have been fatal for the Labour Party. Um, um, Ben, you can't really go with Ben Healy because. Healy won, so the, the party kind of got to hold together. Also, that's not a leadership. It's a deputy leadership. It's a deputy leadership one. Yeah. Um, so I'm... It's tricky because I've kind of ruled out all, almost all of them. Um, <sighs> you know what? No, I'm going to go... With... What, if, what about Labour in 94 is the least destructive one? Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's yeah. No, I think you'd have to say in terms of how they managed it between Blair and Brown. Yeah, I mean, obviously, obviously, you've got long term tension tension built in there, but like that that doesn't that doesn't come to a head for more than a decade. So you can no. hardly you can no. hardly blame that on the leadership election. No, and I, and I, to be fair, I don't think it was. I, I think I think I think there's I think actually. They worked pretty well during that first term. The issues come more in the second term for various yeah. reasons. Um, and also, like, if you take it with its deputy leadership election as well, you do have the benefit again, John Prescott in, who was a pretty good uh, yeah, deputy to Blair. Um, yeah. Oh, you know, I'm. Oh, you know what? I've I've got an I've got a outside the box one. Go on. Is this for most or least? This is for most. Because I think you're right. I think you have to go with Blair in 94. What, for least? Uh, For least. The 89 Labour leadership election. 89 or 90? That is outside the box. And I'll tell you what, obviously... Oh, Brian Gould! No, no, Brian Gould's 92. Okay, who am, I, who am I thinking? So, of? so, so, so you're thinking of because Brian Gould is challenging John Smith. This is yeah. the this is a Kinnock Ben leadership election. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. even I, as somebody who loves Tony Ben, and I was I was watch I watched a documentary about Tony Ben um, um, over the weekend. <laughs> even I'm not going to say he should have won in in 1989. I think it was 89. No, maybe may in 88. It was some point after the 87 election. Yeah, but. Pinnock winning so overwhelmingly basically put to an end the idea of getting rid of Neil Kinnock as leader. And look, I'm sorry, the, Br- the British people are never going to make him prime minister. They just weren't. It would have been much better for the Labour Party if Tony Benn had gotten like 30% and Neil Kinnock was kind of a bit wounded. And the thought process amongst people around him was like, maybe we should, maybe I should go for the leadership. Maybe it's time, because actually, by putting such a hard stop on, no, Kinnock's going to be the guy for at the next election. 
you did set the party up for throwing away a winnable election. Um, I think We're actually, all right. Another one that has to be said as well, sorry, is Jenkins, David Owens uh, for the SDP. But of course, the problem with that is, and the problem with that is, is that the reason why that was so destructive. Can you tell, Will? Can you tell, Will? We've been watching a lot of documentaries on YouTube about 70s and 80s politics. <laughs> and the reason why that was so destructive was because the person they should have had as leader, Shirley Williams, had been kicked upstairs to be party president. Yeah. Um, and so you had two people. <laughs> I suppose Jenkins was probably the better of the two, and he won because. Um, you know, he could get on the liberals, but like David Owens, so like, as a like, as Luke says, I've watched quite a few documentaries about 60s, 70s, 80s politics, and the common theme amongst all the ones about the 70s and 80s is that David Owens is a shit. Yeah, tell, tell the Dennis Healy. Uh, oh, it was so good! It was so good. So, Dennis Healy is talking about David Owens. And he's talking about Owen. He's not Owen. Oh, I always made that mistake. I, I I felt myself doing it. Yeah. So he's he's talking about David. O- you know what? That used there was a fighter called Holly Holm, um, who I used to do that when I was writing my copy for the magazine, and it used to drive my editor to distraction. What? Ho- delete- what? what I, ho- I, yeah, I put I put the S in the names because you had to delete all these S's that were peppering my copy. Um. Yeah, so Dennis, so Dennis Healy goes, oh, no, David Owen, you know, good-looking guy, good speaker, you know, you know, going through all these admirable qualities of Dennis Healy. And he's saying, like, you know, all the fairies, the, the good the good fairies gave him all these wonderful qualities. And I'm like, oh, okay, okay, no, he's going he's gonna to do the Baldwin line about Churchill, which is, you know, and then they were like, no, 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 these are far too many. Uh, these are far many, too many good qualities, and so they shook him and out fell wisdom. But instead, Healy goes, and and then a bad fairy came along and said, "Unfortunately, you'll also be a shit." <laughs> and he was. <laughs> you know what's really interesting watching these documentaries because some of these documentaries are from the nineties. Yeah, like 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 you said when you told me that story the first time on the phone. It's a very English insult yes. to call somebody a shit. Yes, because it, it doesn't—it doesn't just mean you're an unpleasant person. There's a very specific set of characteristics which David Owen meets. But which David Owen meets and then some. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you if you want to look it up in a dictionary, if you want to look it up in a thesaurus, <laughs> the meaning of the word shit when applied to a person. There's gonna just be a picture of David Owen. But the um what's interesting I, I, I think it's I think it's self-centeredness. That's yes. the defining characteristic of being a shit. Self-centered and rude. Yes. But the um the the thing what's interesting about these documentaries <laughs> is some of them are from the nineties and some of them are from the noughties. <laughs> and Dennis Healy looks remarkably like himself in the 90s. Like he, yeah, like and, then, he, and then it's like somebody burst a balloon. In the yeah, <laughs> but like in the mid-90s, he still looked like him. And whereas, yeah. like, say, say like Nigel Lawson, Nigel Lawson, like Nigel, like the inflated version of Nigel Lawson, that happens very soon after he ceases to be a frontline politician. Yeah. Um. So no, 
Oh, that, real... that's that, that's weird. He looks like two completely different people. Yeah. Um, whereas Healy doesn't quite, but like, yeah, no. but like he really what, does. What Healy's got is Healy still has the eyebrows. Yes, that's true. Which are like the defining characteristic of his face. Um. So yeah, so so now we go very quickly because we run out of time. But most enjoyable, this. I think, particularly now that you've had this really close result, I, 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 my, my, gut, my sense. I didn't watch any debates, but my sense is the debates weren't that much fun. Um, like they'd kind of pushed themselves out a bit by the time they got to the debates. Well, no, they, they, well, they, the, I, I didn't watch the whole things, but I did watch some clips. And the one thing that's fun about them is Ash Regan doing a Rudy Giuliani impression. <laughs> Go on, tell her what why is she like Rudy Giuliani? Well, it's just she has the same quality that Rudy Giuliani has. That like they're both constantly shocked by what they're saying. It's like it's like they start talking and they don't know where their sentences are gonna end. And they always seem surprised when they get where they're going. It's this is great. Have you ever seen that our cartoon president thing, the, the Stephen no. Colbert thing? There is a great, um, there's a great uh, Rudy Giuliani one that I'm going to start talking and we'll both find out together what I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> and that that is a quality to Ash Regan has in space. She just always looks surprised at like where her own brain takes her. It's really weird. The um, so yes, yeah, so. so- over than Ash Regan. Um, but I think Ash Regan did add to things. Add to the... Uh, to oh, the yeah, game. she definitely added spice to this contest. And look, the Zuma, commu- the Zuma community deserves representation as well, Will. So I I, I think this is one of the most enjoyable leadership elections I've oh, ever watched. Oh, definitely, definitely. And I think it's been a golden era for leadership elections, because let's trust Rishi Sunak was great. Like, you know, the, the 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 bit before you get to the, the the final two was pretty fun. You have the whole thing of people ganging up on Penny Mordaunt. You have the whole thing of Liz Trust turning up on no sleep and just being catastrophically bad. You um you have the funniness with Stafford Javid annoying everybody and Tom Tugendhat, you know, being Tom Tugendhat. So, but then you get like. Again, like just ferociously mean debates between yeah. Unak and Liz Truss. No, really brutal. And I know, like <laughs> I, I put on Twitter once. Um, I think during their first head-to-head debate, uh, this is fantastic. Next time, give them weapons. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so like yes. that, 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 that. I think these two, like they're definitely in my top three leadership elections I followed. Um, may, they may be the top two. Uh, sorry, and I, I think they are the top two of the ones I followed as you know, like a live boy. If you go into history, um, you know the Ben Healy stuff is very fun, um, and it's a new system. People aren't used to it. You know, you, you know. I think again, like I was watching this documentary, and Dennis Healy like laughs to himself. He fought harder for this meaningless job of deputy leader than he did to be leader. Yeah, I mean, I always loved that. I didn't realise this until I read um, Dominic Sandbrook's latest. 
but but Healy had apparently been informally offered the job of NATO General Secretary, which eventually goes to Peter Carrington. Because NATO had decided it wanted a Brit. Um, and, but Healy doesn't accept it, even though he really wants it, because he knows that if he resigns, the only, pe- the only person that's going to be able to mobilise support quickly enough to lock up the deputy leadership is Ben. So Den- Dennis Healy passes on his dream job they um, they extend. I can't remember the German guy who was uh, NATO Secretary General at the time, but they extend his tenure by a year, um, waiting for somebody else. And then, obviously, because of the Falklands, Peter Carrington comes along. Well, do you think it's because of the Falklands, or is it like, do you think Thatcher was like, "Be really good to get Dennis Healy out of frontline politics"? Um, yeah, so maybe we'll, we'll offer him the job. Oh, he didn't accept it. Oh, we're going to win anyway now. So <laughs> screw, <laughs> screw you, Dennis. Peter, do you want a job? <laughs> By the way, people talk about uh, Lord Carrington. Like, oh, what a wonderful guy. Always resigned. You know, didn't try and cling on. Yeah, yes, always, I, like, always, <laughs> always landed on his feet though, didn't? He? Yeah, we're going to say I would resign at the drop of a hat if I kept being rewarded for it as much as Peter Carrington did. <laughs> well, a future Prime Minister of England. President, uh, President, uh, <laughs> President, uh. so, um, yeah, what will be your most enjoyable leadership election? Oh, um, I mean, speak, speaking as somebody who will probably never vote Labour, I did think 2015 was very funny, <laughs> um, just because it's like. It's like you can see the train coming towards you. It's like, oh no, I'll get out of the way long before this train hits me. Train gets a bit closer. Oh, that train's looking a bit close. Better, better do something. Better, better mobilize some forces here. Oh shit, I've just been hit by this train. Well, I, I, I think the thing is, like, Corbyn winning the leadership was a bit like Leicester City winning the Premiership. It was so <laughs> outlandish, your brain couldn't fully register it. And, like, yeah. Because like I, that leadership election—it's always—it's easy to forget that leadership election began with Liz Kendall and Tristan (laughs) Hunt and and other Blairites, oh no, demanding a move to the right. Uh, 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 Tristan Hunt—he's up there with Dan Jarvis. He's the future leader of the Labour Party, and he always will be. But he—he, to be fair, he—he's got a real job now. Whereas Dan Jarvis is still right, is still writing that one speech. Um, <laughs> it's true, but like, did, did you know he was a former paratrooper? Will <laughs> really? I didn't know that. <laughs> I, I know it's brand new information. <laughs> but the um, like, yeah, you begin that leadership election with me like grouncing, you know, and because I like I had quit the Labour Party in February when they 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 accepted the coalition's uh, limits on child benefits. So, like, you know, I'm you know, I'm a left-wing <laughs> member of the... Le- Other than Brexit, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a re- relatively left-wing person. But but also, like, I knew who Jamie Corbyn was. I'm like, you can't make him lead of the Labour Party. <laughs> That's insane! <laughs> so I go from 
rousing about Liz Kendall and all the Blairites to, oh my God, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> by the way, by the way, you watch these old documentaries, any any clip of Tony Benn after 1979. What, and Jeremy Corbyn is somewhere there. Yeah. <laughs> He's like Zelig, he just gets into every single photograph. So um, the other, I think the one that is easy to forget is the 2016 Tory leadership election, because that's that's actually quite fun as well, because you have the whole craziness with Go. Yeah, with, with, Boris, with Boris and Go. You have, you know, um, you have the march for Land, uh, uh, Angela uh, Ledsome. You have, you have <laughs> Ledsome. Tell that that leadership election was happening at a time when you know British politics was basically on a sugar rush, and everybody was high, and nobody had had any sleep, and everybody was knackered, and nobody was really thinking. <laughs> you know who was thinking? Babies. Babies. Partic- particularly if you massage their brains. <laughs> that much for Andrea Ledson. It's just like, no, I'm sorry, this is not Selma, Alabama. What are you doing? It's like, but they, 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 it's like, okay, guys, John Redwood's leadership campaign launch in 1996, that went great. We all looked awesome in it. We need, <laughs> we need to take it up a level. What can we do to really make ourselves look look like a bunch of demented wingnuts? <laughs> Force created that leadership election fuses with Owen, Owen Smith versus Jeremy Corbyn. And Owen Smith... <laughs> no, that, that's even better. But it's not Owen Smith. It's the Angela Eagle press conference. Oh. <laughs> that is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. <laughs> it's just, just brilliant where everybody bodily gets up to leave the room before she stands up. No, I think she was stood up. I think she was stood up. I think, I think, I think she was like, "What's going on?" <laughs> and then you have a, you have Owen Smith talking about his dick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, like I think if you take them two together, because they they literally, as I said, like they literally do overlap. Yeah, they, li- like, they literally they literally do flow into one another. I I I I think that that 2016 period as well was just so much fun. Um, but yes, um, oh, I'd, I'd forgotten about that Angela Eagle press conference. It was so. I remember watching that clip on Twitter and nearly rolling around on the floor. It was just so funny. Like if you put that in the thick of it, you might. Well, no, you know, the thick of it does steal. The thick yeah, of it does steal it at some points. No, no, no! That, that's what that's what I'm that's what I'm saying. It doesn't steal it. It doesn't steal it. It's like they copied that scene from it, from the thick of it. <laughs> yes, I think you're right. I think it's the other way round, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um. Oh, but yeah. No, it's yeah. <laughs> good times. Good times. Good times. But this is the thing. Like, just just very quickly. Like, it's. I think the only thing that could have made this year better in terms of leadership elections, if we'd gotten Sunak versus Johnson, because that would have been hilarious, particularly because it would have ended up with the toy pots, no, CCHQ having to go, oh yeah, about that whole uh, getting the leadership election done in three days. Uh, yeah, we can't do that. 
So you would have had the leadership election in the middle of a financial crisis. Um, good luck with that, guy. <laughs> anyway, on that note, I've been Will Calling. He's been Dr. Luke Midup, and we'll talk to you again. And we're pouring, we're pouring one out for our homie Simon Alvey. Pouring one out for our homie Simon Alvey. Talk to you again in a while. Oh, and the Scottish Fairies. <laughs>